so this last week, my family and I, we, we traveled um, down to Kansas, uh, which is where my family is. Uh, and one of the blessings of this is that my family or my parents have a Netflix account. Uh, so it's kind of fun for us to be able to noodle on and see what's, what's new there. And this last week, we watched this movie called Slumberland. Have any of you seen that? No one in the room has seen it. All right, so I could totally lie about this movie, and none of you would know that. Uh, in the first service, like three people had seen it. I think it's relatively new. So, um, And also, this is not an endorsement of the movie. Uh, just to be clear, uh, I, I'm not saying that it's like a terrible movie, but it's not like uh, there's better movies out there to pick. I'll just say that. So don't, don't go home and, be, and think that like, oh, Pastor Rick said this was an awesome movie. I'm not saying that. Um, but there are some themes in this movie that I think are interesting and pertinent uh, to the day and the season in which we're in. So this, this movie, Slumberland, uh, it's about this little girl. Her name is Nemo, and she lives in a lighthouse with her uh, very rugged, adventurous, um, exciting, uh, storytelling father. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Uh, but unfortunately, in the first ten minutes, which, you know, in a lot of uh, semi-good movies, the, the, the parental figure passes away in the first 10 minutes and that happens here Uh, so he goes out to like fight a storm and like rescue a boat or something like that and he succumbs to the storm and so in light of that or or in the wake of that uh, poor little Nemo she has to leave this exciting world of the lighthouse and go live with her boring uncle in the city Boo, boring uncle. Um, And one of the ways in which she tries to cope with with her sadness of losing her father is, is by quickly trying to fall asleep and enter into this dream world. And it's really interesting. She meets, meets a lot of fanciful characters in her dreams. And you can kind of tell that, that her dreams are very much shaped by the stories of her father. And in this dream world, uh, this character sort of barges in and, and interrupts her dream. And, and she's got no paradigm for who this person is. And he tells her, if you find these magical pearls, you will be able to control your dreams and dream about whatever it is that you want to dream about. And she immediately thinks, I want to meet my father again in my dreams. I want to interact with him. I want to hear these stories over again. I want to tell him about my day. I I want to see my father again in my dreams. And so she begins this, this quest. But the problem is that she can only find the pearls if she has a map. And this character in her dreams is trying to tell her that it's her responsibility to find the map. Now, up until this point in the movie, you start to think that that everything that has transpired so far is sort of contained within the world of her dreams. But then one of the characters in her dream world tells her precisely where in the real world this map actually is. And so sure enough, lo and behold, she follows the instructions of that character and she discovers the map. And then you realize that there's this really bizarre connection between the dream world and the real world. And as, as the movie progresses, that real world, uh, dream world sort of um, line gets blurred more and more and more. Uh, there's this nightmare that pursues her, and it's fueled by her fear. And also, the strange thing that happens is the more that she learns about her deceased adventurous father the more she kind of unlocks about this seemingly boring uncle of hers. So the more that she reaches into her past, the more hope she has for her future. 
Now, I doubt that Netflix and the producers of this movie uh, intended it this way, but I very much think that a lot of these themes that I've been telling you about pull into the Advent season. This is very much a a dreamlike, mysterious, bizarre season in which the world of of dreams uh, sort of blurs into the world of reality. So right now, as Derek said at the beginning of the service, this is the first Sunday of Advent. In fact, the church calendar begins today, so Happy New Year, everyone. Um, this is a, a, and it's like our gospel readings, for example, uh, move from uh, Luke's gospel to Matthew's gospel. Um, I won't totally geek out about that right now. Um, yeah, I won't, I promise. Um, but we are leading up to the season of Christmas. Now, the word Advent means coming. And so this is a season in which we remember the past. We remember that the Son of God came to earth already through the person, Jesus Christ. But then also we look forward to the second coming of the Son of God, in which he'll come in glory to judge the living and the dead. And so we wait for that. We wait expectantly for that. And like I said, the mood of Advent is dreamlike. It involves complicated metaphors and sort of apocalyptic nightmares. You probably glean that from some of the readings a little bit. And so we find ourselves both sitting with the prophets of old, looking up into the darkness, asking for God to come and interrupt our world. But then also we get these glimpses uh, of, of a future vision of a new cosmos in which everything's going to be remade. And what's bizarre about all of this as we look into the past and as we consider the future is in a bizarre, mysterious sort of way, it brings more clarity to the world that we find ourselves in here and now. So for many of you, this might be the first time in which you've gone through an Advent season in, uh, in an Anglican or a sacramental sort of tradition. Uh, much, uh, many of the churches, uh, here in America at least, uh, they treat this as if it's Christmas time. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you'll, you'll start singing uh, songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing or the First Noel or Joy to the World. I had to look down at my notes because I kind of forget. Um, I really like Advent songs, which is what happened at the beginning of the service. I could sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel all day long. I love it. Um, but what, what, what the American church has sometimes done is reached forward into Christmas as if it's like a warm blanket and sort of pulled it up over And and as the traditional global historical church, uh, we want to hang on to Advent. We want to lean into the themes of Advent that our spiritual forefathers have left us. Now, I realize that these might be fighting words in some people's households, but the Feast of Christmas doesn't begin actually until Christmas. I'm um, but Christmas Day is what launches uh, the 12 days of, of feasting, of celebration, uh, of joy. Uh, one of the years in our household, uh, Molly bought um, uh, 12 bottles of sparkling juice. And so each of the 12 days, we opened that up. And, and it was just a blast. So uh, during Advent, I encourage you to think in your households, how might you celebrate the 12 days of Christmas? Uh, And they culminate on January 6th at the Feast of Epiphany, uh, when the wise men come to adore the Christ child. So just as Easter has Lent, Christmas has Advent. And I think we need Advent. Uh, In fact, some scholars would say that the entire Christian life is actually lived in Advent. This leaning into the promises of Christ, but also hoping in his second coming. 
this is a dream, even though this is a, a dreamlike sort of apocalyptic season, this is also perhaps the most concrete of seasons. Because this is a season in which we direct our attention to the darkness of the world, to the evil things of this world. And we ask ourselves questions, many of which we even heard in our scripture readings today. Why do my prayers seem to go unanswered? Or like in Isaiah, God, have you forgotten us? Where are you, Lord? Again, these are questions that every Christian ought to wrestle with, especially in light of headlines and shootings and and whatnot that's happening in our world right now. But Advent reminds us that our life here and now is both bathed in the promises of old, but then also coupled with an eternal hope for the future. And I think that the more that we embrace this season, the better equipped we are, both individually in our walk with Jesus, but then also corporately as, a, as, as the body of Christ. We're better equipped when we, lean into these scene, when we lean into this season. So what does it mean to sort of embrace the tension of this season, of the already and not yet? How do we as Christians live into this tension? Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ gives us a map. He shows us the way through this. In fact, he says, I am the way. He tells us, follow after me and I will teach you how to live in the midst of a very dark and broken world. I am the way. And the key way out, or the key way through, I should say, is to focus our hope upon his second coming. To prepare for him to come again. He tells us the way to navigate through the darkness of this present world is by preparing for my return. And that brings us to the words from Matthew's gospel today. These are some of Jesus' final teachings. His death is impending and he wants to give his disciples these memorable teachings, these sort of uh, these parables uh, to help them through the journey. And so I actually want to focus on the three sort of micro parables that are at the end of this passage in, in, in Matthew's gospel, starting around verse 36 or so. So we're going to move through these, uh, each one of these um, pointing out to us a different way in which we prepare for the Lord to come again, which will stir up hope within us all, I hope. So first, uh, Jesus tells us that his coming is going to be similar to the coming of the flood in Noah's day. Just as the people were surprised when the flood came, so too people will be surprised when the Son of Man returns. What Jesus is telling us here is that there's two kinds of people, basically. There's, there's those, who, those who know, yes, a storm is coming, and there's those who are completely ignorant of it. Or they're, they're intentionally clueless, and they sort of stick their fingers in their ear about it. And Jesus is saying, wake up. Do not, uh, don't be unaware about these things. He wants us to prepare, not idly, but actively. He wants us to prepare actively. So Noah prepared by building an ark a physical structure that would help him traverse through the troublesome storms of that world. So we too must be preparing uh, our spiritual homes, our spiritual arcs, to say. Jesus tells us to build our house upon the rock, to store up treasures in heaven, to clothe ourselves in his righteousness. And that is how we traverse through the storms of this world. So if you're not sheltered by the kingdom, by Jesus Christ himself, then you will be swept away, is what he tells us. So waiting is not something that we just kind of sit back and it's not something that happens passively, but rather it's active. We actively um, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to shape us more like Christ. We actively invest in our, our spiritual communities with one another. So waiting, we prepare actively. So what's the second micro story in this? 
Well, we see uh, this sort of this twin story of two different kinds of workers. The first case is a man who's working out in the field. The second is a woman who's work, or women who are working at a mill. And in both of these situations, one of them is taken away and the other one is left behind. Now, um, try not to think about... If you grew up when, when I did, you probably have these like Left Behind series books sort of like coming to the, the forefront of your mind. You're like, I know what that looks like. I read a book about that. Um, p- please keep that out of your mind. Because uh, the, the overarching teaching of the New Testament is that Jesus is going to remake this cosmos. Uh, Heaven and earth, uh, heaven's going to descend, we learn in Revelation 21, upon this earth, and all things are going to be made new. In 1 Thessalonians, we're told that we're going to be caught up into heaven, not not taken away from this world, but we're caught up as as like a welcoming party of Christ, and then we'll come with him back to this world, and, and we're going to help judge this world and see how Christ remakes it. Uh, and I think that's important for us to understand. So it, what Jesus is getting at here, the point of this, is he wants us to know that we're going to be completely and utterly surprised by his second coming. It's going to be instantaneous. It's going to happen in the flash of an eye, like a bolt of lightning. No one's going to be able to predict this. So we're going to be caught off guard, is what Jesus is trying to stay here. So first of all, I, I think there's a couple things that we can glean from this. One of them is, don't waste your time trying to guess when Jesus is going to come back. Christian history is sort of littered with, with bozos who try to pinpoint the, the time and the date of when Jesus is going to come back. And I think the Bible's pretty clear. Like, don't waste your time with this. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, I, I went uh, to this lecture of this guy, and I'm going to name him because he was very public about this stuff, uh, this guy Hal Lindsey, and, and he promised that Jesus was going to come back before the year 2000. And he actually pointed to some of the verses that we read today um, to, to prove his case. And then obviously 2000, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, 2000 came and went. And, and I, I don't think the world ended uh, at that point. Um, so I, I think what Jesus is, it wants to remind us, and he says explicitly, no one knows when the hour is going to come. Not the disciples, they don't know. Preachers like me, we don't know. Not millennialists or premillennialists or postmillennialists. No one knows the hour when Jesus is going to return. And Jesus tells us here during his earthly ministry that he himself didn't know. Part of the incarnation was, was him sort of um, laying aside his full divine foreknowledge. So speculation about dates, at minimum we could say, is inappropriate. Uh, but they actually fall uh, along the lines of blasphemy. So don't waste your time with that nonsense, Jesus is telling us. So why then is it important for us to know that his second coming is going to be instantaneous? Well, he wants us to prioritize preparation that endures. He he wants us always to be ready. He wants us to, to walk in our Christian journey with endurance. Live your life as if Christ could come back at any moment. Always be on guard. We'll, we'll revisit this in a moment. But for now, prepare with endurance. So thirdly, what's the third little micro parable that we see in this? Well, Jesus says, be ready as one who is preparing for a thief to come. Isn't it interesting that occasionally in the scriptures, Jesus uses a um, uh, sort of a nefarious character, like a thief or an unjust judge, um, and he finds a character trait of that person and says, I want you to be like that. It kind of reminds me when Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, be as shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. 
We're supposed to be aware of, of the craftiness of this world. And, and Jesus actually commends um, kind of a crafty sort of wisdom, doesn't he? So this third story is, is kind of similar to the previous two in that, yes, we're supposed to actively make uh, preparations. We're supposed to always be on guard. But what's, what does this third story sort of add uh, to the picture? Well, one thing I think it says is that we are to study the shadows, that we're supposed to watch the darkness, that we're supposed to keep our eyes to the darkness, that we're supposed to see how does the, the world of the darkness sort of compare to the world of light. Because things do look differently. It's one of the things I love about camping is if you have to get up in the middle of the night from your tent and look around, it's like you're on a totally different planet than the one in which you went to bed in. So turn your eyes to the darkness. Take note of the world. Notice that different beasts emerge when it's dark out. Sounds are a bit more eerie and mysterious. So we are to study the strangeness of the dark. That is, understand the realities of evil. So that when something different does emerge, you can recognize it, you can name it, and then you can contend with it. And maybe it's something that you welcome, but maybe it's something that you ward off through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, stay awake through the night. But also, prepare with expectancy. With expectancy. Jesus is clear, the thief will come. The king will return. Jesus is coming back. And so we are to watch expectantly. Not like a security guard who just sort of props his feet up on the table, kind of dozes off as he gives himself some snacks and sort of occasionally glances over at the security cameras. No, elsewhere Jesus talks about this waiting as like captives uh, who are waiting for uh, the release from their captivity so they can go and walk into new lives of freedom. Or sometimes Jesus talks about his coming, uh, his second coming, as, as sort of like a, uh, an engaged couple on their wedding day who are just sort of, kind of buzzing with expectation of, of finally seeing their beloved face to face. And Jesus wants us to know he is coming back again. So we are to prepare actively. We are to prepare always. And we are to prepare expectantly. So what does this preparation actually look like in our daily lives? How does turning our focus on on Christ's second coming impact us in the tension of the here and now? How does it benefit us? Or what does it even look like? Well, I think it means that we can expect glimmers of him in the here and now. I think we see these, these future visions sort of breaking into our world on occasion. In fact, every Sunday, that's what we experience through the Holy Table is Jesus meets us in that moment and gives us a foretaste of his future glory, nourishing our souls for the journey. I think as students, you can experience this. Uh, Jesus, uh, you, you, you can look for Jesus in the midst of your studies. It doesn't matter if you're at a Christian school or you're homeschooled or it's a private school or public school. God said, or the church has said, all truth is God's truth. And so you can look for the hope of Christ in the midst of human history. You can look for his order and his care in the midst of creation. He is the maker of all things, and he promises us that he will bring all things to their final perfection. So how can you as students see that in your studies? Or those who work uh, in, uh, maybe in the technology industry or maybe the, the hospitality industry, do your work with excellence and honor. Serve your employer as if you are serving Christ himself, and maybe in doing so, you will feel the pleasure of the Father upon you.
or maybe uh, a lot of you are teachers, actually. And so what does this look like for you? What's well, investing in your students in the same way in which Christ invests in you? And Christ actually promises that as you serve the least of these among you, you will be serving him. So foster within your students a, a holy appetite for that which is noble and pure and good and, and beautiful and joyful. As artists, create works of beauty and, uh, that, that reflect the glory of our Father in heaven. You see, the irony in all of this, in the vocations and in the lives that we find ourselves in, in the here and now, is that as we, as we long for the King to come, He will give us glimmers of His presence in the here and now. He will meet us here and now. He will fuel our hope for this future day. Those who are devoid of preparation, those who uh, despair of his preparation, easily succumb to things like controversy and, and conspiracy, or despair even. But for those who wait for the king with eagerness, they are ready for surprises. They're ready for surprises. They're open to his direction. And they are equipped for navigating the darkness of this world and filled with hope. So this Advent, may we all prepare ourselves for the coming of the King. In light of this, let us pray together. O Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord, we live in a troublesome and confused world. It is a broken world, Lord, and we are rattled by the dark things that happen. Lord, may you tear open the heavens and come down. May you visit your people afresh. And until that day comes, Lord, prepare us. May we work actively, Lord. May we work consistently. And Lord, may we truly expect you to come. Stir our hearts into greater hope of you and your kingdom. Give us grace, Lord, to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Amen.